Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Welcome back to the IFAR podcast, Money in the Air. Tonight's episode about neighboring rights royalties is going to focus on the producer. So the producer's role is normally only payable if they make an audible contribution and then only for that audible contribution role. But producers can be included in the royalty of the featured artist if they have some sort of documentation that allows it. And that documentation is different in different territories. What classifies a music producer? I'm assuming everybody knows what they do, but if some people don't know, let's define them. The producer is the person who tells the artists how to do it, what changes to make, how to sing, where to put in the tambourine, how to add more cowbell. If you think about what a director does in film and television, then that's what the producer does in music. The overall creative mind that enhances the production and takes it from being a demo to a hit. Also have additional roles as well. So not only are they directing the content of each recording, they are also contributing be it on keyboards, be it on backing vocals, be it on guitar. It could be absolutely anything or it could be a combination of everything. They have many, many multi-talents. That is why we're here tonight to ensure that they are not overlooked in terms of royalty income. True, very true. I mean, a lot of times when my artists will go into the studio, if they haven't come in with a self-contained song, the producer will help in the writing as well. So it's, it's more than just telling people what to do. It is very often contributing to the music. You talked about the letter of direction from Sound Exchange in the States. Here in the UK through PPL, it's called an eligible producer form. And God help you, if you try to give one form to the wrong society, you can't. They're not interchangeable. Every society that has its own unique form, you need that documentation. To receive the artist's share of performance income. To receive the producer's portion of the artist's share of featured performer income. And at PPL, is that a specific percentage? that is allocated to producers across or is that per the eligible form that they submit? So with producers, they have an eligible producer form and it has been completed at the time ideally of recording and signed by those who participated in the recording. That is then submitted to our collection society here in the UK, which is PPL, who review it and then would generally process it under classed as a non-feature performer category and the percentage allocated accordingly in line with that. If they have performed on audible roles in addition to the producer role, then they should claim their audible role with PPL, which again would be payable as a non-featured artist, because for that you don't need the documentation. So back to the producer who has played the keys on a track, if they claim as the keyboard player, then that actually takes away the requirement of eligible producer form with PPL. If they do guitar keys and eligible producer, do they get 
three shares of the non-featured income? Not with PPL, they don't know. PPL will pay out on just one role only, which is why they actually say on their website that the ideal is to submit an audible role if that's is that's what you've actually played on. What about in other societies? Quite often there are many societies that don't actually recognise producer roles as well. So again, if you have claimed all your audible roles with PPL, that will cover you in the international societies as well. There aren't that many that I know PPL do, and I believe Switzerland do, and as we say, Sound Exchange will accept what's known as a letter of direction. But yeah, email us for a list and we can supply you with all the international societies. If you have an international National mandate with PPL, then they will deal with that for you with your claims. If you have a representative dealing with your claims for you, then they will liaise with you to ensure that you're claimed accordingly with each particular territory. Can you get the letter of direction from Sound Exchange's website? Yes, you can get the letter of direction from Sound Exchange's website. And they do not differentiate between individual contributors. So if you're a producer, if you're a non-featured, it's all the same thing, which is a little different at Sound Exchange compared to some other of the societies. So if you're a producer, all you need is that letter of direction. If you're a background vocalist and you do artist share income, you are a non-featured. Right. And it's the artist, the featured artist, who determines the percentage given to the producer and sound exchange. Yes, which is determined based on your producer rate. So say, for instance, you produce for an artist and your producer royalty is 3%, and their artist royalty is 17%, then you have to consider what is 3% of 17%, which would equal your producer percentage of their artist share. The easy math would be 15% for the artist, 3% for the producer, so it's one-fifth of the featured performer royalty for neighboring rights. Quite often we come across producers who don't feel comfortable approaching the main artist, for with a letter of direction to take to America. It's actually really common these days. The artists are fully aware that letters of direction are required. So please don't hesitate to go and get that signed. It's income that is due to you. You have contributed on that recording. You are entitled to it. It's payable to you, but you will need that documentation and it will need to be signed. Be sure to get within your producer agreement a sound exchange letter of direction calculated at that percentage. It makes it the easiest form of record to submit it and it's all in one place. And that is best practices as well as, you know, the composition split that should be in there as well. That's right. And if it's appended as an exhibit, your agreement for a producer as well, then they're not blindsided by that. They expect it. There's nothing awkward about asking for it. Everybody's waiting for it. I'd also like to mention about um, existing repertoire that you may have already, for example, on the PPL database, if you are a producer. As we've said before, the data is only as good as the person who's actually inputting it. Don't rely on the fact that record label involved in the release has has entered your contribution accurately and correctly. You should audit and research and review every single one of your contributions if your role is commonly determined as a producer, okay? If that's how you are generally listed in the label copy, for example, then that may well be how you have been entered for your contribution on that recording. They will enter you as studio personnel, which is a non-eligible role. Studio personnel 
producer, you won't receive any income from that role at all. If, as I say, you have played on that performance or if you've played on that recording, you are entitled to claim. It may be harder now that that claim already exists on the PPL database. So you may be asked for evidence of your contribution, but you should go and reclaim absolutely everything on which you have made an audible contribution. You've made a sound on a recording. So if you are classed as a producer, but you've played keyboards or done backing vocals, please go in and check every recording and reclaim it. You can go back up to six years, six years of PPL. And again, each society differs, but there could be a lot of income out there for you. So please do check. I have a client who produced, this was in the 80s. He produced a couple of albums for the, the same artist. And what he didn't tell anyone was that when the session players didn't get it right, after they went home, he would re-record the music and play the tracks himself because he played all the instruments. And then years later, when he found out about Neighboring Rights and PPL, he wanted to go and claim for his contribution, his audible contributions. And he couldn't get anyone to agree to sign off on it because they weren't there when he did it. And so he couldn't verify it. And he lost out on all that income. And now they're all being re-released 20 years later, 30 years later, and he's kicking himself. So don't let it slide. And don't be shy about standing up for what you do. Wow. So he went and contributed essentially to all of those roles. And now they're re-releasing and he's not doing any income on them because he can't prove it. That's right. And the most classic thing that I see is when I speak to um, a musician and say, okay, what is your contribution on this recording? I produced it. It's like, okay, fine. If you tell people you produced it, that's how it's going to get entered onto the database. And as I said, you will not receive any income. What exactly did you do on that recording? What sound did you do? Oh, I played guitar. Right, okay, let's start again. Let's enter you onto that recording as a non-featured artist, eligible contribution, audible role, guitarist. We can claim your income for you. We can claim you on the original recording and we can claim you on all the different versions and we can claim you on the remasters. Yes, you will be asked for evidence. And yes, it's really helpful if the label copy provides that because it makes everybody's job so much easier. So as Stacey said, please get everything documented along the way. Please review your shares at the societies, what the artists are entering, what the societies have for your percentages. You know, if you have 3% all the way across the board, you shouldn't see shares varying from that. Or if they are varying, you know, just keep a record of your data is all we're saying and reconcile that with what's at the societies on a routine basis. Yeah, and for every mix, Cool. We want to also mention, I don't know what the structure is in the UK, but in the US, we have allocated a specific percentage from uh, sound exchange to the AFM. So every single year, producers are eligible to also receive, in addition to the artist share of performance income, 5% of sound exchange receipts. So if you are a producer, you would go to the AFM fund and who receives about $60 million every single year, search their database to find out if your name is credited either as an artist alias, you search the databases for the title, for your artist alias, for your legal name. And then once you claim it by submitting a form, 
it's divided by the number of participants per sound recording. So if you're the only producer on that sound recording, then you're gonna receive all of that 5% of income. So that's another income stream for producers that I'm seeing that they don't necessarily know about. Wow, that's good. Fantastic. Good. So when you become a member of IFR, ask us for the list of representatives who can help you with that. But you have to become a member. So go to the website, ifr.co.uk and become a member. Thanks for stopping by, everybody.